All right, if you'll turn in your Bibles and stand together with me for the reading of Scripture to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. I plan on bringing you one more study on this short series of the return of the Messiah. Interrupting our long series on Joseph to speak on the return of the Messiah in light of all the events happening in the world, here in the United States and around the world, and especially with regard to the nation of Israel, it seemed pertinent to me to talk about the return of the Messiah. As I have said, he may come for the whole world, but he may come for any of us individuals. I want to mention some of the ones that Brother Hazelwood mentioned. Terry Rabin is in very, very critical condition. We just praise the Lord for Ed being here today and for his, the Lord's goodness to him. And we pray for Lee Barton. We're thankful that Ty Bollinger had successful surgery on a retinal detachment, which is a very serious matter. We want to remember friends in other places like Jan Houston. We're glad for Shirley Murphy being here today. And then today here with us, we have Brother Wendell Mitchell. Now, Wendell is a, a quiet soul. He sits there most of the time uh, quiet, leaves quietly. But he's been with us for a number of years. Wendell, we want to know we love you. We're praying for you. And he, recently, his mother, one ministry that he had was taking care of his mother, and his mother was 101 and one-half years old. And the Lord just called her, what, 10 days ago, something like that, just a few days ago. And uh, she was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord gave her a long life. We lift up uh, Brother Wendell and these other brothers and sisters to the Lord. Matthew chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple. And he said, Do you see all of these things? Truly, I say to you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world or the end of the age? May the Lord add his blessings on the reading of his word and let God's people say, Praise the Lord, and you may be seated. This is our fourth study in this short series, The Return of the Messiah. Many years ago, I remember hearing a friend of mine who's going to be with the Lord now, Henry Mahan. Henry was teaching in his own inimical way, and after the service, a lady came up to him who happened to be an English teacher. And she said, Pastor Mahan, I'd like to speak with you a moment. And he said, sure. She said, well, during the course of your message, 
you used the term britches. He said, yes, I did. What should I have said? She said, well, maybe trousers. He said, well, let me ask you this. He said, what did I say just before I said britches? She said, you know, I don't remember. He said, well, what did I say right after I said britches? She said, I just can't recall. He said, well, if I hadn't said britches, you wouldn't have gotten anything, would you? Now, what that is about is about, it's about context. And I realize that some of you have been here for all previous three studies, but everyone hasn't. And so I want you to see the context of these words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 24. To do that, you need to go back to chapter 23. And I hope you have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, you should find a pew Bible located somewhere very close to you, and you can use that. In the 23rd chapter of Matthew, the Lord severely rebuked the Pharisees, who were the strictest of all the various and sundry religious groups among the Jews. And in that chapter, he warned his disciples to be careful not to imitate them because they were prideful hypocrites who talked the talk but did not walk the walk. If you look at verse 3 of chapter 23, Jesus said, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but don't do after their works, because they say and they do not. Then he said, because of their legal mentality and because of their pride, where they think they are biblical scholars, they love, verse 4, they love to burden people down with all kinds of rules and regulations and laws. He said, they lay them on their shoulders and burden them down, but they will themselves not move one of their little fingers to lighten the burden. I'm happy to tell you today that the grace of God in the gospel of Christ doesn't have anything to do with rules and regulations. If you ever come to know him, his spirit will be in you and he will guide you and he will tell you what is right and what is wrong according to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he said in verses 5 through 7 of Matthew 23, they love attention. They love the attention, the approval, and the applause of the public. See there, verse 5, all that they do, they do a lot of good works. They help little old ladies across the street. They raise money for worthy causes. But everything they do, they do to be seen of men. He says they make broad their phylacteries. Now, a phylactery was a big robe. And what they would do is they would cut the seams of the shoulders on and take pieces of paper with prayers and stuff them in there. And they'd have these big like shoulder pads. And when you saw a Pharisee with that kind of thing, you said, oh, what a holy man. Look how many prayers he's prayed. Much like they're doing over in Israel today when they stuff pieces of paper 
in the, what's called the wailing wall. He says in verse 6, they love the uppermost rooms at the feast. They love the chief seats in the synagogue. They're offended if you don't recognize them. They love to be greeted in the markets, verse 7, to be called rabbi. Rabbi, which means teacher or master. But the disciples of Christ said the Lord should be marked by humility. That's verses 8 through 12. He says, don't be called rabbi. You've got one master, one rabbi, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8. Don't recognize any man on earth, verse 9, as a spiritual father. This doesn't have anything to do with your dad calling him father. This has to do with you recognizing somebody as a father. As we do, our Roman Catholic friends say to the, to the priest, they call them father. Jesus says here, don't do that. He said, don't do that. You have one father. One spiritual father, and that's your father in heaven. He said, don't be called masters, verse 10. You got one master, even Christ. He said, you want to be great? You want to be great in my eyes? Then he said, be the servant of all, verse 11. He did his greatest among you, shall be your servant. Then in verses 13 through 33, he charged the Jews with corrupting the law and opposing the gospel, and he passed judgment upon them all, he says in verses 33, 34, 35, for all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of the righteous Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain, unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Barachias. And chapter 23 closes with the Lord Jesus lamenting the wickedness of Jerusalem coupled with strong rebukes for their wickedness. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he says. How often I would have gathered your children together. I believe that's verse 37. As... A hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you wouldn't have it. And as Jesus left the temple with his disciples, he pronounced a curse, a fearful curse, upon Jerusalem and its inhabitants. Behold, your house is left unto you, verse 38, desolate. I explained that word to you last week. I say unto you, verse 39, you shall not see me henceforth. You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Literally, literally, he says, until you eulogize me. You know what it is to have a eulogy in a memorial service, in a funeral? It comes from a word that means to say a good word about. To say a good word about someone. And Jesus uses that word here. He says, literally, you will not see me again until you say of me, let the one who comes in the name of the Lord be eulogized. That is, until you have a good word to say about me, until you confess me as your Messiah, you will not see me again. 
And this leads us to chapter 24. I have an unusual message for you next week, the last message I plan on this series. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll come and learn uh, from this short series. Here in chapter 24, as was noted in our last study, the disciples, perhaps thinking they could dissuade him from allowing such harsh punishments to come upon Jerusalem, and he said, your house is going to be left desolate. They come to him and they say, well, Jesus, look at all the beautiful, the beautiful architecture. Look at these huge stones. Look at this grand, magnificent temple. That's chapter 24. But Jesus responded in verse 2 and following. He said, do you see these things? Let me tell you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now they left, they left the temple and they went to the Mount of Olives, a distance of about three quarters of a mile. And having some respite, a respite, I suppose the term should be pronounced from the crowd, having some private time with the Lord, from all the people who were there all the time and some of the Jewish leaders who were always hounding him, they had a private question for him. And their, present, their private question was, tell us, when shall these things be? Verse 3, And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world, I pointed out to you that the word world is eon, which can be translated age or space of time. But I also pointed out to you that the disciples had in mind the end of everything as it was then going on. Jesus' answer to them is multifaceted, but it may be considered as resting upon three grand themes. The last days of this world, the times that will lead up to the second coming of Christ, if Jesus is to be taken seriously, will be marked by continual and increasing deception, persecution, and tribulation. In other words, there will be seducers, persecutors, and trouble. Now, let's survey some of these verses. Verses 4 and 5, Matthew 24, he says there will be great deception. And you will note that the great deception here, it seems to be centered in the teaching ministry. He says there will be false teachers. False teachers who claim to speak for Jesus. They will say that they believe that Jesus is the Christ. They will say that they have been sent by him. But in reality, they will be false shepherds whose only interest is themselves. Nevertheless, he says, they will deceive many souls through their ministries. Three times our Lord mentions false prophets. Verse 4, verse 11, and verse 24. He says that those who killed the prophets, 
You remember we just left, we just read rather in chapter 23, verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. So he says, Jerusalem, who killed the prophets that God sent to them, will be left to the deception of false prophets. My dear friends, if we won't hear the truth, we will believe a lie. If we don't stand for something, we'll fall for anything. The whole mess in this world is because the first man, Adam, did not believe God, but he believed the liar, the murderer, Lucifer, who became the devil and Satan. We are told in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that in the last days God will send strong delusion because people would not receive the truth. They would not receive the love of the truth, and so they will believe a lie. Read it for yourself when you have a little time. 2 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2. You should know this, Paul wrote to Timothy. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, you should know this, Timothy. He said that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful. They will be proud. They will be scoffing at God. They will be marked by disobedient to parents. They will be ungrateful. They will be unholy. They will be evil men and those who seduce others. And they will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Those who deceive others are themselves deceived because they think there will be no payback for their deceiving of others, not knowing that those who are out of Christ will reap what they sow. Now notice verse 6. He says in verse 6, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. I pointed out to you last week, if you were not here last week and get that study, there have always been wars. But there will be an increase, a growing increase of wars and trouble and trial and strife all over the world. Why must these things come to pass? You notice in verse 6, you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. Why must they come to pass? Because a world that rejects truth is given over to error. I'd like for you to turn to Romans chapter 1. See if you can find that in your Bible. I can quote these things to you, but I'd rather you see them yourself. The book of Romans and chapter 1. Why must these things come to pass? Because a world that's given over to a lie because they would not receive the truth. When you believe a lie, you can't hope for anything good in your future. 
and it has a hardening effect on us. And here we see this in Romans chapter 1. He says that the wrath of God, verse 18, Romans chapter 1, the wrath of God. Now we talk about the love of God, and I'm thankful for the love of God. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Watch this now. Who hold the truth. Literally, who hold down the truth in unrighteousness. Men know what the truth is. They know there's a God. They know that things didn't just happen. They know that there's a cause and an effect for everything. And when you reject truth, the tendency is you'll be made harder. He says the invisible things of God from the creation of the world are clearly seen. In other words, if we see a created world, a fantastic world, a complicated world, we know that somebody made it. (laughs) Just like you know somebody made the clothes you have on. Somebody made the glasses you have. Somebody uh, 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 made the ties and the dresses that you have. Somebody made this world. So he says in verse 20, the last part of verse 20, they are without excuse. They are without excuse. It's enough light given in the world to make people without excuse. So he he says in verse 22, however, as we think we are today, we think we're becoming wiser and wiser because we've gone from the horse and buggy to the moon, and now we have uh, cell phones and technology. You can see what's going on on the other side of the world in an instant. So he says, professing themselves to be wise, verse 22, they became fools. And the wiser we get... If it's not spiritual wisdom, the more we imagine God to be something other than what he is. And he says they changed, literally they exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. This is the beginning of idolatry, of making a little idols, but more than that. If you'll notice the word image is the root word for the word imagination. Imagination is the root word. The root word image is the, is the word for imagination. So in our minds, when a man creates something, he has it first in his mind. And so he says here that they imagined themselves to be uh, wise while they were becoming foolish, and they changed the uncorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man. So now we have God made in the image of man. Whereas the scripture says God made man in his image. So now we imagine God to be like ourselves. So what happens to them when they do these things? Verse 24, God gave them up. He gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed, verse 25, the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Now watch this. So for this cause, verse 26, God gave them up. Notice now he gave them up in verse 24, and he gave them up in verse 26. 
And when he gave them up, in verse 26, he gave them up to vile affections. You know what a vile affection is? That's an affection. Affection means what you love, what you don't love, what you have an affection for. Okay? So it's quite normal. It has been normal from the beginning of time when God made Adam and Eve. And I'm not making fun of anybody, but God didn't make Adam and Steve. He made Adam and Eve. And from the beginning of time, it's been natural for men and women to love one another and to get married and to have children. And the Bible teaches that marriage in the eyes of God is between a man and a woman. But now we have vile affections. We have people loving things that they should not be loving, wanting things that they should not be wanting, lusting after things that they should not be wanting. And he says, even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, verse 26. You see, the Bible is very straightforward. It's very clear. Verse 27, and the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, that which is not right, and receiving in themselves the payback of their error which was meet. Over 21 million people to the date have died from AIDS. And even as they did not, verse 28, like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Now notice again, verse 24, he gave them up. Verse 26, he gave them up. And verse 28, he gave them over to a reprobate mind. The word reprobate comes from a word that means a mind that is not able to approve what's good and what's bad. We call evil good and good we call evil. Darkness we call light and light we call darkness. Because we want to have our own way. We don't want God or anybody else telling us what to do. After all, you see TV and you see young women saying, this is my body. This is my body. I'll do what I want to with it. You have no right to tell me what to do with my body. This is my mind. This is my life. I'll do what I want to. Well, we don't have time to look at all of this chapter, but I hope you'll come back and read it. Gave them up, verse 24, gave them up, verse 26, gave them over, verse 28. And then he goes on and he says, as a result of that, if men do not turn to him, they will grow worse and worse, verse 29. They'll be filled with unrighteousness, filled with fornication, filled with wickedness, with covetousness, with maliciousness, full of envy, full of murder, full of debate, full of deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, you can't believe what a man tells you anymore. Without natural affection, implacable, no reasonableness, you can't reason with them. Unmerciful, and listen, watch this, who, verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, did they which commit such things are worthy of death, they not only do them, 
but they gather others to themselves that do the same thing. Now, my friends, back to Matthew chapter 24. This is just a little glimpse of what the Lord Jesus Christ says we can expect more and more and more of as the time of His coming approaches. These things must come to pass, but He says the end is not Yet, anyone who refuses the true God who created the world will be given over to the one who's called the God of this world. Matthew chapter 24 now, verse 7. He says, Nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in many different places. Now, the word nation is ethnos. There'll be ethnic strife. There'll be people that we call races. I continually say this. There's just one race. We all came from Adam and Eve. But blacks and whites and Hispanics and Europeans and Asians, all of these people, they're going to be strife between ethnic groups. And there will be starvation and there will be increasing disease and earthquakes. Famine is often caused by war, and pestilence is often the effect of famine. Famine is represented in Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, as a black horse in the third seal that was opened, Pestilence is signified by the pale horse in Revelation chapter 6 under the fourth seal, a pale horse ridden by death, and earthquakes in many places is in the sixth seal in Revelation chapter 6. And this is said to be a shaking of the earth by God himself. You can check out Isaiah 2.21, Zechariah 14, and Haggai 2, verses 6 and 7. Verse 8, Matthew 24, verse 8, he says, watch this now, this is important. These are the beginning of sorrows. Remember last week I told you that verse 8 is translated Basically, by all of the Bible translators in the various translations, some of you can check this out in your Bibles this morning. The NIV says these are the beginnings of birth pains. The CSB version says all these events are the beginning of labor pains. The NLT version says, but all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. In other words, the language of verse 8 is set here as a metaphor of a woman that has a child and the labor pains have begun. And what happens? Those labor pains come more and more frequently and they get stronger and stronger and more painful until the birth is given, until the child comes forth. He says here in verse 8, these are the beginnings of the labor pains of the universe. The world being compared to a woman giving birth. He says in verse 9 that faithful disciples will be persecuted, will be killed, and will be hated. He says in verse 10 
the, the offense involved in all this will begin, it will lead to betrayal. Verse 10, many shall be offended and betray one another and hate one another. Why? Because as the devil said to the Lord when he asked permission to go down and tempt Job, he said, if you'll let me deal with Job a little bit, you'll find out he doesn't really love you, God. He just, he's serving you because you're blessing him. And the Lord said, okay, you can have him. And here's what Satan said. Here's what the devil said. Here's what Lucifer said. Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. People say they believe this. They say believe that. But when it comes down to, you're going to confess Jesus? Or we're going to blow your head off. You find out a lot of them don't really believe it's going to take special grace for us if some of us are in that generation. I see it beginning now. I don't know how long it will last. I don't know if the Jesus is not coming for a thousand years, but I personally can't see the United States standing for very much longer because the foundations of this nation are being decimated. They're being destroyed. The scripture says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So people will begin to betray one another. Right now, we're seeing kids on their phones turning in their parents about something. When I was a boy, my dad would straighten me out. But today, if you try to straighten out a kid, you may find yourself arrested. Now we have laws that say if a child wants to get involved in the transgender program, they don't even have to tell mom or dad about it. That's where we are in the United States. And that's fast coming to the rest of the world. All right, verse 11, he says, false teaching. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. False prophet, that's somebody that tells you a lie. The word here is translated false prophet is the word pseudo-prophetes. Pseudo means false, and prophetes is prophet, false teacher. One teaching falsehood who acts the part of a teacher or a preacher or a prophet sent from God. And he says this, he says false teaching, and they shall deceive Many. The word that's translated deceive there is a Greek term, plenao, and it means one who leads another away from the truth and leads you away from the path of virtue. We've got a lot of folks today that say they believe in the grace of God, but they said it doesn't matter how you live in this world. Don't be concerned about that. You're under the blood of Jesus. Just go ahead and do what you want to do. Then he says in verse 12, there's going to come a time, increasingly so, that iniquity shall abound. There's always been lawlessness. The word that's translated iniquity, at least in the King James Version, is the word anomia, which means against law. Against law, without law, lawless, people who are law unto themselves. You say, nobody is going to make rules and regulations for me. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I am without law. I'm a law unto myself. That's the word uh, translated iniquity, anomia. 
And it says they're going to wax coal. An old King James translation has to do, it's a word, a Greek word that means to cool off by blowing on. You know, when you get a hot cup of coffee and it's just too hot, it'll burn your tongue, you blow on it to cool it off a little bit. That's the word here, suko, to wax cold, to blow it off. People are going to cool down. They're going to say, you know, there's no sense in being a fanatic if you're a Christian. You don't have to be a fanatic. Well, as one of the old men said, a fanatic is just someone who loves Jesus more than you. That's what a fanatic is. Then he says in verse 13, those who are truly children of God through faith in God's Son, he says, they will nevertheless persevere. They will keep going on. Perseverance is vital. And get this now, verse 14. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto the nations, and then shall the end come. We've never had the means like we have today of spreading the gospel throughout the earth because we've got all this technology today. I have friends who have programs uh, from their churches like we do here, programs over the internet. Literally, you can speak to folks on the other side of the world. He said there will be a universal spread of the gospel. Doesn't say everybody will believe it. But he says there'll be a universal spread of the gospel, and then shall the end come. Now, I want to show you something. Again, can't cover every verse here, but I want you to go down to verse 33. Same chapter, Matthew 24, Verse 33, he talks in between here about the horrible, horrible persecution. He says, for example, in verse 21, there'll be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world, not to this time, nor ever shall be. Verse 22, and except those days are shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days should be shortened. He said there's going to be so much bloodshed and so much uh, uh, tribulation and trial that everybody on earth would die if God didn't shorten the days. That's how bad it's going to be. Now I get to verse 33. Verse 33. He says, so likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Now, here's the key. Here's the key. When ye shall see all these things, all these things that he's telling us about, when you see all of these things going on at the same time, he says the end is near. If you look back, just stay here, but if you look back in verse 3, the disciples said, when, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of the coming and of the end. Whether you want to say end of the world or end of the age, what's going to be the sign of the end? And they're associating the end here with the coming of Christ. When shall the end be? And Jesus says in verse 33, when you see all these things, 
you know that it's at the door. And I believe, look at verse 34. Again, I don't know what translation you have. But in verse 34, he says, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. I believe this generation refers to the generation that sees all these things that he's referred to in verse 33. That's what I believe. He says in verse 6, the end is not yet. We read that. We read, I think, verses 4 through 8, where he says, don't let anybody deceive you, and many will come, and you have the wars and all that, when you see all these things. And then he says that when you see false messiahs and when you see wars and rumors of wars, that doesn't mean the end. He says in verse 8, these are the beginning of sorrows. When you see ethnic strife and government conflicts and famines and pestilences and increasing earthquakes, that signals the beginning of the end. Then he says in verse 14, then shall the end come. Then shall the end come in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 24. Then shall the end come when the gospel is spread throughout the world. Now we have now all kinds of Wonderful things going on, but of course, men, being what they are, we take the wonderful things of technology and we often use them for bad things. Now, I want you to look at verse 35. Verse 35, jumping around a little bit, but I hope that you can make sense of this and you go back and pray about it. Regardless of your eschatological bent, whether you're a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, or amillennialist, we're dealing with, I believe, the end of the world as we know it. And he says in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. The world is not here permanently. Peter gives us a very vivid description in his uh, epistle of Second Peter. He says that you're going to have meteors and meteorites that are going to come crashing down to the earth. You're going to have the melting of things. You're going to have the world being dissolved. You're going to have all kinds of judgment falling on this world. And Jesus says, you can be certain of one thing, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words shall not pass away. My friends, if you want to know the Lord, get into the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Word. He is the Word regarding God. He is the Word of God who has become flesh. In the beginning was the Word. In the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. That's all in John's Gospel, chapter 1. When God created the world, he created it with a word. He said, let there be, and there was. And the word that he spoke became flesh, and we call him Jesus. And he's the word of God. We must be careful not to doubt his words simply because we don't understand them all. 
He is the Word of God, and all that He has said is true and faithful. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, once you get into the Word of God, the Spirit of God is going to begin to open up your mind to His mind. And when He opens up your mind, He's going to show you some unpleasant things about yourself. But that's for your good. When he begins to deal with us and to convict us, that is the means of converting us. We have to get to the place where we take sides with God against ourselves. We read again about the Word of God, 1 Peter 1.23, We are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Jesus is the Word of God. By Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him, for Him, and through Him. And guess what? He's the one who is sustaining everything. He's called the glue that holds everything together. By him, all things are sustained. And let me tell you this, he will have the last word. He'll have the last word. In the book of Revelation chapter 20, talking about these terrible times that are coming upon the world, John wrote, I saw thrones, and I saw those who sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And listen to this now. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. I'm teaching you on Tuesday night. I only have one or two more studies of that, but I'm teaching you about the Christ, the Antichrist, and how Islam is involved. What is the chief means of execution under Islam? It is cutting your head off. You've seen that on television in the last several years. So John says in Revelation chapter 20, talking about the persecution upon the people of God, I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, that's the Antichrist, those who had not received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ. All right, let's go back to Matthew 24, and let me see if I can close out here. Matthew chapter 24. Jesus says in Matthew 24 and verse 36, no man knows when all of this, this end and final day, would happen. Of that day and hour knoweth no man, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But he says, I'll tell you this, 
verses 37, 38, and 39, he said it's going to be a lot like it was in the days of Noah just before the flood. Everybody's going to be doing their own thing. They're going to be going their own way. They're not going to pay any attention to what's happening. They're going to think tomorrow will be as yesterday and as today. They'll be talking about peace when sudden destruction will come. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And here's where I want to leave you this morning. In verses 40 through 44, that regardless of your end-time eschatological views, regardless of where you think we are, in God's timeline, regardless of that, verses 40 through 44, he said, be always ready. You see this as two men in the field, one were taken and the other left. Two women grinding at the meal, verse 41, one taken and the other left. Verse 42, watch therefore you do not know at what hour your Lord does come. You see that? That's verses uh, 40 and 41 and 42. After he talks to us about the days of Noah... Verse 37, let's look at verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. As in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, carrying on, just like nothing's going on, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to come quickly. It's going to come quickly. He says, always be ready, verses 40 through 44. Always be ready, verse 44. Be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man will come. You see that? Just read the Bible. That's all right. Just read the Bible. Then he says, finally, in verses 45 through 51, verses 45 through 51, he said, be faithful and be diligent, and to be faithful and to be diligent is to be wise. Verse 45, who is that faithful and wise servant? Whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, give him meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, verse 46, when his Lord comes, he shall find him doing what he's supposed to do. Verse 47, I say unto you, he'll make him ruler over all of his goods. But verse 48, if that evil servant shall say in his heart, ah, oh, my Lord's delaying his coming. He's not coming for a thousand years. And he shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and to drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a terrible, terrible picture, isn't it? That's a terrible picture. But my friends, listen, you can hide 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he told Israel when he was delivering them from Egypt, he said, I'm going to come through tonight at midnight. And he said, I'm going to be looking for one thing. I'm going to go to every house. Listen, Santa Claus ain't got nothing on Jesus. Santa Claus just comes once a year. The Lord Jesus comes every day. Santa, Santa Claus just gives you some presents once a year. The Lord Jesus Christ gives you every day as a blessing. Far superior to Santa Claus. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus says, you be busy doing what I gave you to do, looking to me, trusting in me, walking in me, He's not asking you to turn the world over. He's asking you just to be faithful and looking to him, trusting in him, and walking with him. Be always ready because you don't know when your hour will come to leave or when he will come for the entire world. Let me leave you with this reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Listen to this. Now, these are the words of the Apostle Paul to the church of Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. This is what Paul says. Of the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need that I write unto you. For you know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I said when Jesus, when the Lord rather said to Israel, I'm going to come here in the midnight tonight. I'll be looking for one thing. What will you be looking for? I'll be looking for blood on the doorpost. You had to kill a lamb, take the blood of that lamb, and put it on the doorpost. When Jesus comes again, he's going to be looking for trusting in his blood, his shed blood on your heart, on the doorpost of your soul, in your heart. That's what he's going to be looking for. Brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. You know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night when, when they shall say peace and safety. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as travail upon a woman with child, like when a woman is hit with those birth pains. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief because you are children of light. And you are children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Let us watch and be sober, be serious, be looking, not be drunk with the things of the world. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day, let us stay alert, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for our helmet, let us use the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or whether we sleep, we should live together with him. Comfort yourselves together. Strengthen each other with these words, as I am sure you also do. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word.